Our scripture uh, lesson for today is from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly. Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word this morning. Well, today we have a very special speaker with us, uh, Pastor Jeff Pepo from Revolution Church, which is a, men, a brother in Christ church here in town. And uh, we're excited to have him with us. Um, we're going to hear after the service a little bit more about a wonderful opportunity uh, that we are excited to put before you this morning to partner with Jeff and his church as they reach out to, to many people in this community and see people's lives transformed through faith in Jesus Christ. So let's welcome Jeff as he brings the message this morning. Thanks, Doug. Boy, I'm glad to be here. Thank you so much for allowing me to come and share. And thank you so much for partnering with us in ministry. If you saw in your bulletin, uh, you all are going to try to help raise money for Revolution Church, our building project. Our, our church just gets so packed full sometimes. Uh, our church primarily really reaches addicts, current addicts or people in recovery. Uh, that really is most of the people there. And so uh, we're just glad and, and joyful that you're joining us in that. I got a few of our people here today, a couple in the front row, my son there, a couple back there. Uh, if, if any of you want any questions about revolution, you can hit me up afterwards. You can talk to any of them. I'm sure they'd be happy to tell you a bit more about what's going on. And we'll show you a little video at the end of the sermon. But I really feel like you all have just adopted our church and I, I know a thing or two about adoption because we right now have seven kids. This is my family. Uh, one, one of our kids isn't on there. She's a, a baby, a foster girl, about a month and a half old. And so we have seven kids. And as you can imagine, it gets kind of crazy with seven kids sometimes. And so, I, you know, we've adopted all these six kids. And so I know what it's like to adopt. And I just feel like First Covenant has adopted revolution. And I don't know if you guys know how mind-blowing that is for one local church to help another local church in the same town. Like, that's almost unheard of. So huge thank you from us to you guys. Really just huge thank you. Um, it's really... We, thank you. Yeah. I should applaud you. Um, but yeah, the idea of showing love to someone who you weren't obligated to show love to is, is what adoption is all about. And that's what you guys have chosen to do. 
And today we're going to look at the story of the Good Samaritan who also chose to show love to someone that he didn't have to. It's in Luke 10. And while you turn there, if you want to use your Bibles or or your phones or whatever to go there, I want you to keep in mind that this is probably the most misunderstood story in the entire New Testament. Like the mo- I've called this the misunderstood Good Samaritan story. That's the title of the sermon today because so many people don't get it. Everyone reads this and says, oh, the Good Samaritan story. That's talking about how you got to be nice to people and love your neighbor. I think we had a communication problem. My, uh, my family one time fostered a, a little kid about a year or two old. And the agency said to us, make sure that nobody knows he's here. I said, well, I know we got to keep his information private. You know, he's a foster kid. They said, no, this is different. A gang killed his father and told us that they were going to try to find him and take him. Do not tell anyone where he is at. And so now we're a little nervous, right? Like, okay, this is different. This is definitely private. And so we didn't tell anybody except for a couple of close friends that we had this kid and asked him to pray for us and uh, put him to bed that night. My wife and I went to bed about three or four in the morning. My phone rings. Groggy. I pick up the phone. Hello? And on the other end, the guy goes, where are you at? I said, what? He goes, where are you at? I said, who is this? He goes, stop messing with me. Where are you at? Tell me right now. I said, man, I don't know who you think you are, but my... And he interrupted me. He said, is this Greg? And I said, no, I'm Jeff. He goes, I'm sorry. I got the wrong number. (sighs) Okay. Communication problem, right? Communication problem sets the tone for the whole conversation. Would you agree with me on that? It does. And today, when we read the story of the Good Samaritan, if we start with the idea that it's about helping someone be kind, we've got a communication problem here. Maybe you've had communication problems too. Maybe you've got a client or a patient and you've given them instructions and they've ignored you completely. Everyone, anyone ever dealt with that? Or they go home and do the opposite of what you told them to do. Maybe you're a teacher and you've told your students how to do the thing again and again and again and they just aren't listening and you're about to lose your job. (laughs) Maybe you're Pastor Doug, and if Pastor West asks you one more time, no, just hypothetical. That's that's hypothetical. But you get the idea, right? It's frustrating. It's annoying when, when people don't communicate well. And I think the story of the Good Samaritan is crazy because we read the opposite of what Jesus intended, I believe. Today you're going to see what I mean. If, if you grab your Bibles, look at there, Luke chapter 10. Let's start right at verse 25. If you're at my church, we've got, we got a lot of people who aren't believers yet. And, and I tell them, just you find that big old 10, that's a chapter number. You come over to the little tiny 25, that's the verse number. Right? We're going to start there. Verse 25 says, on one occasion, an expert in the law, a lawyer, theological lawyer, stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Stop. Did you catch that intro? The introduction's huge. This is not a question. Jesus, what's a good person look like? No, he says, what must I do to be saved, to have eternal life? The introductory question frames everything, just like in a movie, how the music and the color frames the film. In fact, I want to show you this. So last summer, I took a video of my brother-in-law walking into a cave. And depending on the music and color, it changes the whole story. Check this out.
Right. First one is hillbilly adventure. Second one is someone's about to die. Right. And the only thing we changed was the, like the, that little tiny change frames the entire story. And when we frame the story of the Good Samaritan with it's be nice, that changes the point. Let's frame it the way the scripture framed it, which is how do I inherit eternal life? Let's write this down. If you're following along in the app or taking notes, the Good Samaritan story is Jesus response to how do I inherit eternal life? It's a problematic story about how to be saved. It's a problem. You'll, you'll see what I mean by a problem later. The question is, how do we get saved? And I think probably most people here at First Covenant know that we aren't saved by our good deeds. You agree with me on that, church? Right? We're saved by the mercy that Jesus Christ gives us, his sacrifice on the cross. Now, just to be clear on that, so no one is, is confused, I'm going to read a little bit out of Galatians chapter 5. This is verses 4 to 6. It tells us how important works are compared to faith. It says this, you who are trying to be justified by the law, if you're trying to get to heaven by doing good, you've been alienated from Christ. You've fallen away from grace. But faith, by faith, we eagerly await uh, through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. By faith, we're waiting righteousness. We get the righteousness from Jesus Christ given to us by faith, not by our actions. It says, for in Christ Jesus, there's neither circumcision nor uncircumcision. Either of those have any value. They were having a debate about whether you should get circumcised or not because of the Old Testament laws. And it says, hey, that law doesn't matter. It's not going to save you. Then he finishes up. He says, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. So faith is what matters. And what really matters is when your faith expresses itself through love. Now, this verse both sums up and prepares us to hear the story of the Good Samaritan. It starts out, if you're trying to be justified by the law, you can write this down. When we try to justify ourselves by the law, by doing good deeds, we actually alienate ourselves from Christ. Right. So when we go, God, I'm going to do really good. And I want to be able to prove to you and prove to people that I'm a Christian, that I'm saved. What we've just done is alienated ourselves from Christ. We've made it so that we are not saved because we don't want the mercy of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came to save us because we could not fulfill the law because we've all done things wrong. When we say, I'm going to work my way to God, we're saying, I don't need Jesus. We've alienated ourselves away from him and that condemns us. Listen, never make your own way when the way has been made for you. Jesus Christ already made the way for you. Don't, don't try to make the way on your own. Every single person in this room is a sinner in need of the mercy of Jesus Christ. And then it says at the end of verse 6, it says the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself. So we have faith. That's what matters. Believe it in Jesus Christ. But that should express itself by love is what it says. So you can write this down too. However, even though we can't save ourselves by our works, when we have genuine faith, it expresses itself through love. So here we see what scripture really says about how love and good deeds work. I'm sorry, I want to make sure I get my timer here. All right. It tells us really clearly that good deeds can't save us. That good deeds, if we try to do them to save ourselves, it actually alienates us. We're doomed. But we do good deeds because we have faith in Jesus Christ. And then we express our faith through love. Now, with that understanding, let's go back to this parable of the Good Samaritan. In Luke 10, on one occasion, an expert of the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, what's written in the law, Jesus said. How do you read it? He asked him. He answered, you love the Lord your God with all of your heart. 
with all of your soul, with all of your strength, with all of your mind, and you love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. Why would Jesus say that? He knows it's the wrong answer. Jesus knows this man can't save himself by doing those good deeds. Why would Jesus tell him to do that? When Jesus says, yeah, you do all that and you're saved, I mean, in some ways he's right. If you could avoid all your sin, all your evil thoughts, if you could help every single person every time you saw them, you could never sin and do every right thing with loving God, with everything you are, all the time, for every second of every day, yeah, sure, then you'd be saved. But he can't. You can't. When Jesus said, yeah, do that, and then you're saved, the guy should have said, then I'm in trouble. Because I messed up this morning already. Because I didn't show love to God this morning when I woke up. I had a bad attitude. He should have said, I've already failed. That's the right response to this thing Jesus said. Let's write this down if you're following along. To the law, to love God with all that we are and to love our neighbor is a standard that nobody has ever met other than Jesus. You might remember a story in Luke 18 where a Pharisee goes to the temple. Jesus says, the Pharisee went up there and he was like, God, thank you. For saving, thank you, thank you that I'm a good person. He says, thank you for saving me. He says, thank you that I'm a good person. Thank you that I've done so well. Then Jesus says, there's a tax collector, a terrible person, evil person who went there as well. And then Jesus says this in Luke 18 about the tax collector. The tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look. Uh, he would not even uh, look at heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. Why was that man justified even though he didn't do good things? Because he said, God, I need your help. Never make your own way when the way has already been made for you. Whenever someone says, you look in scripture. Whenever someone says to Jesus, have mercy on me, I'm a sinner, they get mercy. But whenever someone says to Jesus, how do I earn my way to heaven? Jesus goes, <laughs> okay, here you go. And he gives them this massive list that you can't possibly do. You might remember the story of the rich young ruler who was like, Jesus, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus was like, give away everything you own. Remember that story? Right? The point that Jesus was making was you can't do it on your own. His disciples were like, who can do that? Jesus said, no one. I mean, with God, you can be saved. But other than that, you can't. Now look, look at verse 29. Luke actually tells us about this guy's attitude. Luke says he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, who's my neighbor? Okay, so the lawyer is questioning Jesus. He wants to justify himself with the law. He wanted to make himself look good enough by doing good deeds. Now, some of you probably thought that the janitor didn't put the ladder away, and so they were about to get in trouble. This is actually my fault. I, I want to just, just to show you for a minute what this was actually, what was actually happening here. Okay, so this guy comes to Jesus, and he says, Jesus, what must I do to be saved? And, and Jesus says, you know, love all this guy and do all that. And he says, well, who's my neighbor? And, and Jesus is about to show him the extent of what it means to love your neighbor. Because when this guy says, who's my neighbor, what, what's he doing? He's saying, how far up here do I have to climb? That's what he's asking, right? How much does it take to get to heaven? Do I have to go all the way to the top? Is this good enough? Uh, you know, where am I in relation to God? He wants to know what he has to do rather than simply saying, have mercy on me, Jesus. Does that make sense, everybody? But what does Galatians 5, 4 already tell us? In case we forgot, Galatians 5, 4 says, you 
who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. When you climb this ladder, you condemn yourself. When you try to work your way to God, you condemn yourself. But if this guy wants to know the standard, then Jesus is going to give him the standard. So Jesus tells him, okay, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. When he fell into the hands of robbers, they stripped him of his clothes. They beat him and, and they left him for dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. So you got a priest, a law follower, and a law teacher. Fails the test. Can't climb high enough. You've got a Levite, the holiest tribe in Israel. Can't climb. Failed the test. Then you get to verse 33. But a Samaritan... As he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. Now, you got a Samaritan here. you got to keep in mind, Samaritans were sinners, a filthy sinner in the eyes of the Jew. Actually, Samaritans were half Jewish people. Uh, hundreds of years earlier, they were Jewish, and they had gotten separated from the rest of the Jewish tribes, and they turned against their Jewish brothers and sisters. They mated with non-Jews, which was illegal and immoral. They tried to stop the building of the temple, which was just a reprehensible, terrible thing to do. They were considered evil, sinning half-breeds. If the moral of the story of the Good Samaritan was help those who are your enemy, the Good Samaritan wouldn't have been the Good Samaritan. The Samaritan would have been the wounded person on the road, and the good Jewish person would have helped them. But that's not what the moral of the story actually is. The Samaritan, the one that no one expected... To do right, did right. The law keepers didn't do us right. And this guy comes along and he's really going to show them how to do it instead of the law keepers. Look at verse 34 to 35 now. He, the Samaritan, went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you have. Now, this is a huge deal, friends. He bandages the wounds. Messy, filthy. He's probably got gravel, dust, blood everywhere. He was half dead. This man poured oil and wine on his wounds, which was an antiseptic back then, a very expensive one. He got off his own animal, put the man on the animal. This road that they were on from Jerusalem to Jericho descended 2,500 feet over the course of 18 miles in the middle of a desert. This is not easy terrain. And he gives up his ride and he walks the 18 miles in the desert down 2,500 feet. He brought him to an inn. This was not the Holiday Inn Express. This was an emergency place that you don't want to actually be at. It's a place for nasty people and emergencies only. But he stays there with the man. How do we know he stayed there? Well, it says in verse 35, the next day. So he stayed there all night long, taking care of this man's wounds, helping him, probably staying awake with him, probably just making sure he didn't die. And the next day he pays two, it's a denarii, two silver coins. Uh, the nightly cost of a hotel back then was one thirty second of a denarii. So he paid for two months of hotel hospital stay ahead of time. And then he says to the guy, hey, take care of this man. I will reimburse you for any expense you may have. That's a good way to get ripped off. Right? He wrote a blank check. A blank check. Yeah, loving people is what God wants, of course. But look how this ends. Verse 36. 
Which of these three do you think was the neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers, Jesus says? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Now, before you think Jesus was simply saying, go and be a good neighbor, remember the questions about how do I get saved? If Jesus really, really told this man, hey, by going and doing all these good deeds, you'll get saved. Jesus was a bad teacher. Jesus is trying to say that the standard to be saved is walking 18 miles through a desert. Taking someone whom you don't know to a hospital. Then paying for two months stay ahead of time. And then writing a blank check so that they can be safe, whatever the cost. That's the standard. And by the way, if you came upon another person, what would have the standard been then? The same thing. And another person. And the next person. And the next person. Jesus is trying to point out that this ladder should be 10 miles high. The rungs 50 feet apart. He's trying to demonstrate to this poor man that you can't possibly do what you need to do to be saved. First Covenant, you guys are awesome. I love you. I mean, some of you here have already helped Revolution Church. Like, it's just, you're amazing. But probably nobody here has walked 18 miles in the desert to personally care for someone all night long, dropped them off at a hospital, paid for two months of medical care in advance, and then written a blank check for whatever they need. And then did it again for someone else. And again. And again the next time you encounter someone in need. For every per- person you encounter. People always look at the story of the Good Samaritan and say, Oh, this is a story about loving your enemy, loving your neighbor. So much more than that. Actually, can you write this down? This is the practical application. I-, I must stop trying to make myself right with God through my deeds. I must repent of my sin and ask God for mercy because I can't measure up to his standards. Do you agree that you can't measure up to God's standards? Do you agree with that, friends? Uh, a couple of years ago, my wife and I, I told you we'd adopted, you know, a bunch of kids and uh, we've been foster care for, I don't know, like 50 or 60. And uh, my wife was home by herself. She was trying to put the kids to bed that night. <laughs> and my wife's an amazing person. OK, she, she's great. I love her to death. But every once in a while, when you got six kids, you lose your mind. OK, Is, are you on track with me on that? So she's trying to give them to bed. It's not going well. She finally gets to this point. She looks at them. And she goes, you have to stop being so demanding. I am tired. You are supposed to be asleep. And my 10-year-old, my daughter, Leah, who was 10 at the time, says, well, it's your own fault because you do foster care and have so many kids. <laughs> and then my daughter, Macy, who was only five, goes, yeah, you should have adopted better children. <laughs> look, look, everyone, including my own kids, we all know we're not perfect, don't we? So don't expect your behavior to save you. Does God want us to love people? Yes, absolutely. 100% God wants us to love people. That's why the standard is so high, because that's how God lives and acts himself. If you're loving people, though, don't expect it to justify yourself before God, because if you're thinking that your behavior is going to make God go, you're a good person, I'm going to weigh your deeds, I guess you're saved. No, if that's what you expect, you're condemning yourself. Because you need the mercy of God as much as every single person out there. 
But if you want to do this because you're simply expressing your faith through love, then yes, that's what God wants from us. In fact, here's the practical application number two. God does want me to love people well. He wants me to give generously. He wants me to serve people in need. God wants me to take risks as long as it's me expressing my faith through love. Just not working my way to God. As Galatians 5 says, what counts is expressing our faith through love. So yeah, go ahead. Write some blank checks. Help people who are in need. Some people you don't know. Take some risks. Do something crazy. Be excited about the fact that God loves you so much that you get to love other people in a crazy way. Let me give you another practical example of how this is going to work out. And on your outlines, it's just a blank area that you can type in or write whatever you want because you're going to come up with your own. I'm just going to give you an example. Let's say you've got a kid or you have a friend who's maybe not even a Christian yet. And you're going to take them this coming week somewhere down in Salina where someone's begging for money. And instead of handing them 10 bucks, And then driving away and feeling like you're justified before God now, what you're going to do is you're going to use this situation to share the gospel to your children or to your friend. And you're going to take that, you're going to do something crazy, okay? You're going to take that person in your car and you're going to drive to a really nice store. You're going to buy them two or three or four sets of clothing, hundreds of dollars on clothing for them that they've never had before. You're going to go buy them some shoes. You're even going to buy them some nice custom belts. You're going to buy them clothes that they've never had before. And then you're going to take them and get them a steak dinner. Okay, you're going to take them to one of the best restaurants in town. You're going to buy an appetizer. You're going to buy a full dinner. You're going to take them out for dessert afterwards. Then you're going to take them to the Ashby house. You're going to take them to the men's shelter so that they can get long-term help. And you're going to spend hours and hours and hundreds and hundreds of dollars to do this, okay? And after you've done that, you're going to look at your child and say, we didn't do good enough. And they're going to say, what are you talking about? And you're going to say, there are so many people we didn't help. We drove by a thousand people that could have been in need today, and we didn't help all of them. Then you're going to ask, do you think God will judge us? And they will lose their minds. Because you know what they're going to say? They're going to say, but dad or mom, we did good. I think God's happy with us. And they're going to try to justify your behavior before God by saying that you did enough, aren't they? And then you're going to tell them, son, we are not saved by what we do. We couldn't possibly help enough people to be righteous in God's eyes. And you're going to share the gospel with them. And you're going to explain how you're a sinner in need of the mercy of God and how they are too. And how Jesus Christ came to this earth and Jesus went to the cross and died because I've done evil. And so have you. And God was punishing Jesus instead of punishing us so that we don't have to go to hell, so that we can be redeemed and be with God forever and ever. That's how we're saved. And then you explain to them the only reason we can help people like we did is because God loves us so much. He's given us so much that we want to love other people in the same way. Amen, church? You're going to give them the gospel. And then instead of trying to justify your behavior, which is not good, you'll have shared the gospel. You'll have helped someone in need because you've expressed your faith through love and you've done a genuine good deed and you will be closer to Christ because of it. Let's pray. Lord, Father in heaven, we thank you for the love that you give us. Thank you that you allow us to express the love you've given us. Forgive us for those times and moments where we think that our behavior is going to justify ourselves. Help us to put ourselves under your merciful hand. 
And remember, any time we do good, it's simply us expressing the love you've given us in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.